0: All right, I got an honest question for you here. Start now. Now, answer honestly, all right? You don't have, to, uh, you don't have to, to, to twist the truth for my benefit here, okay? So uh, answer honestly. How many of you would say that you trust me? You trust me. All right, that's a lot of you. Okay, some of you didn't raise your hand. That's okay, because not all of you know me, so uh, I wouldn't expect you to raise your hand. Some of you who actually know me are like, maybe I shouldn't raise my hand, you know? But, um, all right, so let me ask you this question. How many of you trust me now? <laughs> Okay, a few of you are still in. All right, don't trust them with sharp objects. And uh, okay, some of you would be wise, but all right, how many of you would believe me if I told you that I can and in fact have thrown this dart and stuck a card, uh, a playing card into the bullseye of a dartboard? Yeah. Yeah. He believes me because he was there, okay? How many of you, if I, uh, if I showed you the video, then you would believe? You'd be like, all right, I need to see the evidence because that sounds too good to be true, but if I actually saw it for myself, then maybe I would believe. Some of you still didn't raise your hand. You're probably thinking he could have doctored the video. You know, I, I don't know, but I don't think it's possible to throw that and stick. It took a lot of attempts, all right? I'll admit that to you. All right, how many of you have enough faith in me um, to if I had set up a balloon like over here on the side and I threw this dart that I could actually hit and pop that balloon? How many of you uh, have faith that I could do that, okay? All right, some of you are still with me. Some of you are like, I don't really know. All right, so for those of you that are still with me, how many of you would stand up here and hold the balloon just over your head? Oh, there's still a couple. Wow. Okay. Wow. I appreciate you guys. Wow. There's my true friends right there uh, that that really trust me. Now, okay. What was, yeah, just don't hit me. What what was the purpose of of the exercise? Well, what we're talking about today is this idea of faith. And so the question is, what is the true essence of faith? Now, Good news for you and for all of us that this is not the kind of faith that we talk about putting in someone, one of us, or something. But ultimately, it's the kind of faith that we're going to talk about today. Is the kind of faith that we place in the faithful God. And so uh, I want to spend a little bit of time just taking some time to really ask that question. What is the essence of that? Is it just believing, saying that we believe something? Like, oh yeah, yeah, I trust that, right? I trust that. I believe. Or yeah, yeah, I trust you. I trust you. Or is it something more than that? Is it, hey, I, I trust you, but let me have a little proof. Like, let me have a little bit of evidence. Let me, let me see. Or does it go as far to say not only do I trust you and what you can do and what you're capable of, but I'll actually stand there. That's how much I trust you. Now, Francis Chan did that same kind of exercise. He did it with a BB gun, but I, I, I knew if I brought a firearm in here, nobody would raise their hand that they trusted me. So, uh, but, oh, okay, all right. Um, but excited to get to talk about that today as we continue to chat about uh, the armor of God and really the things that God gives us and, and we have at our disposal Uh, so that we can be fully equipped for the spiritual battle that's taking place. And here's what the scripture has to say to us out of Ephesians 6. If you want to turn with us, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, uh, starting in verse 10 here as we set up uh, the rigging here for today's message. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in in his mighty power, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace." here's where we are today. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so again, we're talking about the kind of faith that we don't necessarily place in someone, some human, but in the Almighty God, in the faithful one, in the God who has proven to us to be faithful time and time again. And so I want to just unpack for you, or really kind of paint a picture for you today, of what is the essence of that faith? When we think about this shield and this Roman shield, that would have been really like this big old door, like it's this big old shield that really covered the entirety of the Roman soldier, and it would have the ability to extinguish uh, the the arrows of the enemy. It actually too, it wasn't just a defensive weapon, but they would use that shield to crash in on somebody if it came to kind of close quarters fighting. That it, you could push forward, and so it was sort of this offensive and defensive tool to uh, insulate us from um, the arrows of the evil one, but also allow us to take an offensive posture. And so what does that kind of faith look like? And what I wanna do today is kind of work backward and talk about the kind of misconceptions I think that exist about what faith truly is. And so here's the first misconception about faith. And that's this, that faith is blind, Faith is blind. You ever heard that? Maybe you've heard it from somebody on the outside that, oh yeah, yeah, your faith. That's great. That's just wishful thinking, right? Like That's just you being hopeful. It's just some kind of blind faith. It's just something you blindly accept, right? It doesn't really have any sufficient evidence to support it. It's just, it's just something that it's, it's, it's cute for you, but not for me, right? That it's just, it's, it's a blind kind of a faith. Now, some of us might possess that kind of faith that is blind. Maybe it's one that we was passed on to us. Maybe um, it's one that we inherited or received or kind of grown up with, and we never really kind of put that faith to the test or really asked what the foundation was or the basis for what we believe in. And so maybe for some of you, you're like, you know, what if I'm honest? Like that is the kind of faith that I have. Like it's never really been confronted with any challenging questions. I kind of just push that stuff aside and just keep blazing forward. Now, in our current moment, that kind of blind faith is like going to battle with a cardboard box, you know? Can you imagine, like, not actually having, like, all right, I'm here, guys, like, let's go, you know? And when we're confronted with some of the big cultural questions that we face and really uh, the the current moment that we're in, that kind of faith is going to prove flimsy. And we have to learn to mature in our faith and always, as the Bible tells us, be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. And so have you done that hard work of um, really fortifying your faith to make sure that it's not just a blind faith? Let me illustrate it this way. A few of us guys went out uh, a couple weeks ago, and we went out hiking in the woods. And for some reason, when guys get together, like just... bad decisions can be made, you know? It's like we sort of challenge each other to different things, and we sort of push each other. They don't seem like bad decisions to us, but they're the kinds of things that if there was a lady there, they'd be like, do you really think that's a good idea? Like, like, let's be honest, like, that's not a good idea and would challenge us perhaps on that. But we're out in the woods and we're climbing across, you know, maybe just at least a couple of us, climbing across ro- logs across the lake, you know, these kinds of things and trying to kind of, like, throw a challenge back to one of the other guys. And uh, we, at some point in time, we kind of came along to this vine that was in the middle of the path. Now, all of the guys are thinking what exactly what a couple of us were thinking, and that is, that vine needs to be swung on, right? Like, that's what it's here for. Like, that vine obviously needs somebody to swing on it. And so, and that certainly, like, you know, I had that thought and, uh, it, it's funny because before I even had a chance to really do much with it, Jordan, who he would say is probably the most enthusiastic guy in our group, just takes and grabs that vine, walks it all the way up the hill. Like, I'm like, maybe you should test it for I don't, he's on this vine. All of a sudden, we just see him swinging before he's really kind of like evaluated the situation. And all the other guys are like, like, we wish we had time to get the camera out, you know? And I'll be honest, and I know that some of the other guys felt this way too. I'm sure they just maybe don't, aren't willing to admit it. There was a part of me that really was hoping that that vine would just break loose. Like not not to the point where Jordan actually got hurt, but at least to the point where we could all have a good laugh. And but it 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 went and he just grabs onto this thing and what he didn't account for was the big giant tree that was at the end of the, the vine, you know, and here he is, he's hanging on this vine, he's like, crash, like he like kind of sticks out his leg to try to stop himself, and just crashes in the tree, he's like, kind of like, you know, I'm good, I'm good, you know, and I love Jordan's enthusiasm, right, and there was once a time, I think, in my life when I was that enthusiastic. Now I'm like walking up to the vine, I'm like, you know, is that, we're, there's a few of us guys that are a little older, like, you know, is that thing up there real good? You know, we're sort of evaluating, like, I need to see some, and honestly, for several of us, it's like, let's see somebody else go first, right? Like, I need to at least see if this thing can hold up. Now, I love the enthusiasm, right, of Jordan, but he did not do the hard work of, like, let's take a look at the evidence here, like, let's evaluate this a little bit. Now, What I have to say in terms of what how this connects to faith is all enthusiasm and no evaluation, or all enthusiasm and no evidence is a recipe for a flimsy faith. And God's not just calling us to just jump out on some vine that we haven't really looked at or evaluate. In fact, if if you really look at the the pattern that Jesus set, he challenges us to, hey, look, I want you to evaluate the signs. I want you to evaluate the evidence. I want to, in fact, give you all the proof that you need to accept this faith. And so we have been given every bit of evidence that we need um, to know that we can trust and jump out with both enthusiasm and evidence into this faith. Now, I want you to also know that, you know, we hear a lot of times kind of perhaps from the atheistic point of view that, you know, we hear these things like faith is blind, but what's never really mentioned is that even atheists have a faith. And nobody has certainty about anything, so even atheists must take a leap of faith. I would contest that and suggest that their leap of faith is a much larger one, you know, because they have faith in a lot of things. Even the atheist has faith that the world came into existence out of nothing, it just came to be, or maybe there was some sort of multiverse generator, but where did that multiverse generator come from, or maybe... They have faith that we're just products of blind, unintelligible forces, right? I mean, they have faith in that. They have faith that this life is all that there is, that there's really no basis for morality. Um, They have faith that the natural world is all that we really know. So the question isn't whether or not that all individuals have faith. We all have faith in something. We all must answer the basic fundamental questions of life, right? How did we get here and why do we exist and what's the purpose of all of this and when did all this start and how did all this start? We all have to have explanations for this and faith is really that that jump from what we know to what we can't quite conceive or know. So don't be fooled that everybody has faith in something, but our faith can have a basis for it. So the question we have to ask is not whether or not we have faith, but what do we have faith in and what is the basis for that faith? Elton Trueblood said, faith is not belief without proof, it's trust without reservation. You see, Jesus didn't ask anyone to blindly follow. What did he do? He sets the stage, really, of his ministry, and really the backdrop of his ministry is all of these miracles. The New Testament is essentially just an eyewitness account of all of the things that that Jesus did. And John kind of finishes his gospel like, listen, there's not even enough room in all the books in all the world to really de- account or detail to you all of the things that Jesus has done. But we'll just settle for what's here. And that should be enough. Now, Jesus wants us to really take a look. He even says to, to those that were, were skeptics of the time, he says, listen, just if, if nothing else, believe in the works. You've seen what I've been doing here, right? Nobody could do that except for God himself. And most importantly, our faith really comes down to one singular event, and that is the resurrection of Jesus. Paul concedes this in in Romans, or sorry, in 1 Corinthians. He says, listen, because there was kind of this argument among uh, leaders of the day whether or not resurrection was really like something that could happen, specifically, you know, people being raised from the dead, and Paul's like, listen, if it's preached that, Um, Christ has been raised from the dead how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead if there's no resurrection from the dead then not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised our preaching is useless and so is your faith more than that we're found to be a false witness about God for we have testified about God that that he raised Christ from the dead but he did not raise him if, if in fact the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all of, we, we are of all people most to be pitied. And he's saying, listen, we are the most pitiful, pitied people that there should possibly be. That was like almost Sally sells seashells, and I didn't even mean it. This isn't even in there. You get the idea that that, we should be pitied if if the resurrection didn't happen. But Paul's like, it did happen. We're eyewitnesses of this, and that is the basis of our faith. And so I encourage you to take some time to really, again, fortify that faith and really ask those hard questions. You're going to be confronted with them at some point anyway, and so wrestle with those things. There's tons of resources out there. There's a ton of great books I could recommend, a ton of great sites and, and resources, but have you ever really asked the question, what is the basis for my faith? Why do I believe what I believe? Because you don't have to have a blind faith. The second thing I think, misconception that sometimes we can be led to believe, is that faith is just like this feeling that we have right, it's just this feeling, and when I'm feeling really, really good about God, that my faith is really, really strong, when I'm not feeling so good, then my faith not, might not be so strong, and you might go to some retreat or something, or some um, convention, and you're like just hearing from these speakers, and the worship, or maybe there's some worship, you know, concert, or like, you know, Carrie Jobs in town, or maybe the band that day is just like really just on point, and you're just like in this moment, and you're like feeling the moment, now there's nothing wrong with that, right, that's good, but if, the, if feelings are really the gauge of our faith, it's great when you're at the mountaintop moment or God's just done something incredible in your life or you've kind of just stepped into kind of a, a new season that's really, really great. And so we sort of carry around this faith-o-meter and we're like, man, mountaintop moment. Man, God is good. I'm good. We're good. And then what What though? When happens when just like stress takes over or busyness takes over or you know, something devastating happens in your life and you're just not really feeling it and the feelings aren't quite there, what do you do then? He's like, does that just mean that your faith is not strong in those moments? No, this, now this isn't meant to say that feelings aren't important or feelings might not be a part of our faith. In fact, they are, they they are, and, and God's given us feeling and emotion. I like what a friend of mine had told me that a counselor said to them that feelings are like five-year-olds. You can't stick them in the trunk, but you definitely don't let them drive the car. That's pretty good, right? Like, I don't know how many of you let the five-year-old drive the car, you know? Um, you probably wouldn't, right? And you definitely can't stick them in the trunk. Like, I, hopefully none of you have tried that, but there are times when I wish I could just stick my five-year-old, like, just go back there, right, um, and uh, and be quiet, right? But you can't do that. It's frowned upon for sure. Um, and you certainly can't do that with your feelings either, right? We can't just pretend that they're not there. We can't just suppress them and try to bury them. They just, they'll just they be knocking on the back of the, you know, the trunk, like, let me out. Out of here, and at some point they're coming out, you know, strong, and so you can't just stick them in the trunk, but you certainly don't let them drive the car. But I think we kind of live in this cultural moment where it's like we give feelings the driver's seat. We're like, just you know, let's let's follow these this feeling wherever it takes us, right? We have to be careful not to do that, especially when it comes to our faith, right? That your feelings are not the the full essence of your faith. They have a role to play. But they certainly shouldn't drive us around. We can't let our moods push and pull us in the direction that we should or shouldn't go. And just so if you, again, base your faith on your feelings, you're going to have a good day one day, and then you're going to have a bad day. It's going to be, if they fluctuate, right? I mean, we know that our feelings fluctuate. Let me give you a better gauge of your faith. And this really comes from Hebrews, and it comes from the book of Hebrews. And it's the description of what is often referred to as the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11, if you look at Hebrews 11, I'm going to let you read the entirety of it later, perhaps on your own. But it's like listing all of the giants of the faith and, and all the, the people that maybe we saw in the Old Testament as like these are the ones that you look to. Like these are, these are the giants of the faith and it sort of celebrates them and it talks about how they had faith and lived by faith. And so it talks about guys like Abel whose offering was holy before the Lord, guys like Enoch, who happened to just be taken up into heaven one day. Like, he doesn't even talk about him dying. It's just like he was here one minute, like, boom, he's up with the Lord. Like, you know, where did that guy go? I don't know, you know? It talks about guys like Noah and Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, on and on. And it speaks about these people and really commends them for the way that they lived out their faith. And all these people were still living, the Bible says, by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting, though, that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So what do you do with all that? Well, here's a couple things to notice about this list, by the way, of people. You'll notice that this whole list of people, there's not one of those people where you look at it and they'd be like, they really had it all together. Like, they were a perfect example, right? But these, this was like the hall of faith. This was like the best of the best. And you got, guys, you got a prostitute in this list. You got people that committed all of these different sins before God that messed up royally all down through the list. And then where they're sort of like raised up, as like, this is the hall of faith. Like, this is It's like, okay, it's not perfect, right? It's not perfect people. Their stories were full of high and low moments. But what they were commended for was not their strong feelings toward God, but their faithful footsteps. So here's a better gauge of the strength of our faith. It's not measured by the intensity of our feelings, but the trajectory of our footsteps. Not how we feel on a given day, but do we move forward anyway? In fact, it's the times when maybe you feel like you're just not feeling it with God, or you're frustrated with God, or you're having one of those low moments where the feelings just aren't there, but you push forward anyway. That is some of the greatest demonstration of your faith. Why? Because faith is not in our feelings, it's in our footsteps. Let me say it another way. Faith is not something that just lives inside of us, it's what we live by. As George MacDonald puts it, a man's real belief is that which he lives by. What a man believes is the thing that he does, not the thing that he thinks. So keep that in mind, that faith is not just a feeling as sometimes we assume it is. It's more than that. It's what translates into our footsteps. It's where the trajectory of our life is heading. Here's the third misconception I think that we sometimes run into, is that faith is the absence of doubts. I think this can be detrimental to a lot of different people because if we assume that people who have faith never have doubts, then that could be pretty discouraging for somebody that is wrestling through some questions that has some big questions. And I think that the church needs to be the place where you can safely bring those questions. You can raise those things. You can wrestle with those things. We want to be available to talk through and walk through those things with you. The other reason I think that's detrimental is because it, we might falsely assume that to, in order to accept Jesus and to put our faith in Jesus, we have to have all of our questions answered. That we can't have any doubts left before we can make that decision and make that leap of faith, and that's simply not true. None of us has the benefit of certainty, but the leap of faith is that jump when even before we have all of our questions, we can put our trust in Jesus and know that he is who he says he is, that he is the living God, that he is the Messiah. And so maybe for some of you today, you've hesitated to put your faith in Jesus because you're like, you know what? I still just kind of wonder about this. I'm still wrestling with this question. I still have this particular doubt. I don't have it all figured out. Nobody has it all figured out. It's okay to take that step forward. I also want to speak today just to the the person that maybe has some questions and comes in with some questions or some doubt, or maybe you've had, you've gone through something difficult in your life that you can't quite make sense of, or you've been praying about something that you don't feel like God is answering you on or directing you on, and so you have those questions, and you're kind of like, what gives? I think God's big enough for those things, and let me just tell you right now, you're in good company in the Bible. There's plenty of people that were people of faith, followers of Jesus, that had questions, that had doubts, that, that wondered about things. And God was big enough to handle those things. In fact, one of the, I could share all kinds with you, but one of the ones that I think is, is notable is, you remember John the Baptist? I mean, this guy was kind of a big deal. You know, he, he's kind of a big player in the scripture. He was the one that prepared the way for the Lord. He's the one that said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world when Jesus walked in. He, he leapt in his mother's belly when he was around Jesus, right? I mean, this was this was John the Baptist. I mean, we want to talk about a guy who had faith. And interestingly, John, which by the way, this was a bad idea for John, but he sort of called out the king. You know, and it's like when you call out the king, you kind of this can be a, a sticky situation. But he calls out the king for being sinful and 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 living an unrighteous life, and the king throws. Um, John the Baptist into jail, and so he's just sitting in jail, and you got to, you know, kind of think that he's sitting there in that jail cell, and he's kind of like, okay, like, the Messiah's here. It's all good. Like, I'm I'm getting out of here. Like, I know I'm getting out of here. Like, he's gonna bust me out of here. Like, it's, you know, the kingdom has come. Like, you know, here we go, and then he's like, wait, and he's like, I'm still here. Like, you know what? He's like, okay, it's gotta be, it's gotta be coming, you know? Like, there's gotta be this moment, and then you figure over time, the longer he sits there, he's kind of like, what's going on? Maybe he has all kinds of time to sit with his thoughts and wonder, and here he is, and he's sitting in this jail cell while the kingdom is sort of unfolding out there, and he's in here, and he starts to maybe wonder to himself, and, and we read in Matthew 11 when it says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who's to come, or should we expect someone else? An interesting question, right, coming from John to say, hey, so are you the Messiah or should we expect someone else, right? And it was sort of born born out of his struggle in the moment that he was in, and he just raises that question. And Jesus replies back, he says, go and report to John what you, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is, who is, is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And by the way, John never makes it out of that jail cell. If you know John's story, he's beheaded and never gets the opportunity, at least this side of earth, to ever get to experience the the fullness of the kingdom this side of earth, but you can be assured that blessed is he who did not stumble on account of me. And so I think it's okay for us to have those questions. In fact, Tim Keller says, a faith without some doubts is like a human body without antibodies in it. People who just blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. Believers should acknowledge and wrestle with doubts, not only their own, but their friends and their neighbors. It is no longer sufficient to hold beliefs just because you inherited them. So I encourage you to continue to wrestle through those things and work through those things, because one of the things that you might find is that it is in raising those questions and challenging and confronting those questions that your faith is made even stronger, that that shield is strengthened in that process. Don't do it quietly. Bring it out into the open. Have conversations with people around you. It's an important thing to do. So faith is not the absence of doubts. It's moving forward and pursuing and trusting Jesus in light of those questions and in light of those doubts. Here's the last misconception that I think a lot of times we have, and that's this, that faith comes easy. Now, some of you are smiling because you know, like, that one's obvious, right? Right? Anybody that's been on the journey with Jesus can identify that that's not true, that faith does not come easy. And and we try not to soft sell the way of Jesus to anyone around here. You know, I think there is a danger in doing that. And maybe you've been in a setting where there was all kinds of promises, like if you just have enough faith. You know, if you just have enough faith, you're going to have, all of your dreams are going to come true, right? Like, God will, like, he's like this genie that's just like, if you just have enough faith and you just pray with enough faith that all your dreams are going to come true, just kind of, you know, rub that genie lamp. And that's what God's here for. He's here to make all your dreams come true. There's no promises of big houses, big paychecks, and perfect health, or smooth seas. It's not the gospel. Because the good news isn't necessarily just about the here and now, it's about Everything beyond that. Now, this is tough for us, isn't it? I mean, the problem is our humanity. We strive for self-preservation and self-protection. Like, that's what we want. We, we want, you know, we've seen this. We've seen this over the last couple years. That Our natural tendency is to do everything we can for self-preservation and self-protection. And what happens is that, makes, that means we want to take the easy road. When your human instinct is to protect and to preserve yourself, Following the Jesus that says, you need to lay down your life, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, that's sort of an unnatural process, and it's not an easy process. So it's easy for us to get drawn back into what's easy and what's comfortable, but here's one I want to offer you today. Like anything else in the armor, we become most skilled with the shield when it's put to the test. That shield of faith, when it's actually put to the test, when we actually put it to use, when we actually pick it up, that's when we become more efficient at using it, more skilled with it. And so the question is, what if our shield was strengthened, not in the sunshine, but in the storm? Our tendency is to want to do what when we face the storms of life? Like, just get me out of this, right? Just get me through this. We want to run from the storms of life. This is our tendency. One of the questions the Lord asked me recently amidst the storm is, hey, Josh, do you want to get out or do you actually want to get whole? Do you want to get out or do you actually want to get stronger? Do you want to get out or do you want to actually be well? And I wish I could say that I'm at the level of maturity in my life where I'm facing trials and I'm like, you know what? Like, keep the storm flowing. Like, uh, let's go. Like, I want to get better. I want to get stronger. Like, bring on the storm. Like, let's do this. Truth is, often, I just want to lay in the sunshine of life. Like, where, like let me just lay out on the beach in the sunshine of life, and let's just take it all in. And that's where I want to be a lot of times. My, my buddy Paul, we had this conversation, we were kind of talking about some of this. And I've since kind of developed this motto called, uh, Into the Storm. And he he had kind of been talking to me about how um, in life that, um, well, in life, in I don't know. It's not in life. It's in just uh, this is what happens. Okay, so cows versus bison, right? Here's what here's what the difference is. So I don't know if you've ever noticed this, and I, I said this in first hour, by the way, and Jonathan didn't correct me. He's the one that probably could have because he's you know they have they have cows, and so. But one one of the things that uh, Paul was saying, and so if it's wrong, blame him. If it's folklore, but I, this I I think I believe this to be true. That actually, what happens if you've ever watched this is when there's a storm. The cows do; they get out of there. They're like, run from the storm. Like the storm is coming. Like let's go. And so they run from the storm. And what ends up happening is they can't outrun the storm, so they just run in the storm. They're just like it's just beating them down for longer and longer. They're just running with the storm, you know. And it's just not. It doesn't work out really, really well for them. But bison, on the other hand, bison do something instinctual that's a little bit different. They actually turn toward the storm. You know, and they run right at the storm. Like, all right, storm, I see you. You know, I'm coming for you. Like, let's go. And run directly in the storm. And what ends up happening is they eventually get through the storm, they run right through it rather than running along. With it, And I I think that's just such a beautiful analogy. And so, like, I've kind of had this mantra, like, in life, like, that's how, that's the personality that we should have. That's the kind of faith mentality we should have is that we we run into the storm, right? We don't run from what's hard. We run toward what's hard. We run toward the, I'm not saying bring pain upon yourself, right? But when there is pain to be dealt with in your life, you actually run toward it. You don't run from it. You don't ignore it. You don't suppress it. You take it on. When there's a risk to be taken, what's faith? Faith is running toward that risk and saying, you know what, I'm going to jump out on this. I'm going to take that risk. You know, you know what it is, is when you're, you're in that storm and you're experiencing that storm, maybe it's a relational storm, you know, maybe you're in the middle of a relational storm right now, and rather than, and our tendency is to want to not deal with our relational issues, right, to not make amends, to not fix that relationship, But faith is actually turning around and saying, you know what, I'm going to handle this. I'm taking this head on. Not in like a fist fight kind of a way. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But in a like, man, in the way of Jesus, like, let me offer some forgiveness in this. We have to run toward the storm. James 1, 2 through 4 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you're facing trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you are like, it's pure joy when I'm dealing with suffering? Like, suffering is my favorite. I love trials. Like, bring it on. Pure joy. Thank you, Jesus. Give me some more trials. I haven't reached that point in my journey yet, but James is trying to shift the perspective here for us. Here's why you can take joy in those things, not because it's fun when it's happening. Not because when we're being refined by fire, it's a joyful experience, but it's through that crucible of pain that something incredible is happening and God is doing a great work. And so hear this, if you're in that place today, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish, let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you wanna get out of the storm or do you wanna get well? Do you wanna get out of the storm or do you wanna be whole. Jesus wants for you to be whole. He wants for you to be whole. He wants for you to be well. He wants for you to be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so run back into the storm. And we can eventually get to that place where we understand and see that it's for our good, that God allows us to deal with suffering and difficulty And it's in the storm where deeper faith is taking root. It's in the storm. When we get outside of that comfort zone, that growth is taking place. It's in that storm of pain where we are experiencing our deepest intimacy with God. Friends, faith doesn't come easy. But it is so, so worth it. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. And once perseverance has finally finished its work, you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some of you need to hear this today. Just just keep pressing on. Keep persevering. Do not give up. God has a great plan in store for you. He's not done with you. I want to give you one final thought as we close, and this is really where our confidence comes from. I was at a wedding last night. A lot of times I'm doing the wedding so I can't always like take in the moment of the wedding and um, just really enjoy because I'm trying to be kind of put together and be the guy that's leading the thing. So like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of times I, I'm just kind of there doing that and I don't always get to experience just the emotions of all that's going on. You know I try to do that but um, I don't always get the opportunity. And so um, we we're at this wedding last night and uh, it's for Jess's cousin and I'm just sitting there and like like I'm just kind of in the moment. You ever just sort of like you're you're unguarded and you're in the moment? I try not to do that, but I was like all of a sudden I'm unguarded and I'm in the moment and all of a sudden I just like feel like I feel feelings, you know, like there's like emotion. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm watching, and like, you know, Jess's grandma's coming down the aisle, and I'm like, oh, you know, like I'm I'm just, all these people are coming in that I know, and it's just like this the music's playing, and they always pick that music that's gonna like just wreck you, and like, you know, and I'm like, oh, make it stop, you know. And then I see, I look up on the stage, and there the groom is, and uh, Mitch, and he's looking at his bride. As she's coming down that aisle, and I just see in his face, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, there's just this joy, and there's these tears, and there's this moment, and you know, everybody's standing, and you know, and all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, like, uh, hang on just a second, like, just need a moment, and I'm I'm feeling all that, and um, I'm just watching all this unfold, just his love for his bride, and what an incredible thing this was, and then I kind of had this thought to myself about God's love for us. And the picture that the Bible gives us about how God is and Jesus is really like our bridegroom and that we're the bride of Christ and I just had this visual of like just Jesus looking out and just welcoming us as his as his bride, and just that, the tears in his eyes and the tears of joy and just the true love and affection and, and a love that's beyond any kind of love that we could have as a human, but this love that just burns stronger than we could ever imagine. And I was just imagining this, and now I'm like, like, I'm gonna have to leave here in a minute. You know, I'm getting real emotional just kind of thinking about this. And so I just kind of had that thought, and I wanted to offer that thought to you that that is where our confidence comes from you have a God that loves you that much. You have a God that has made a promise to you. There, You have a God that wants to, if you've never said yes to it, he wants to establish a covenant with you. He wants to have a covenant relationship with you. And he wants to allow his faithfulness to flow through that covenant relationship. And it is in that covenant relationship that we have our confidence. That's where our confidence comes from, is through the covenant that we have with Jesus, is through the relationship not through some person that we can't know it's through the God that cares that much about you that loves you as his own and makes a promise to you to love you and to keep you and to have you and to hold you sickness and in health and all of those things right God made that kind of vow and that kind of commitment to you so I just want to kind of finish up here in a little bit different way today and it, it might make some of you emotional, so I'll pass the uh, I'll pass that along to you. But I want you just a vision for just a second. I want you to, to just picture yourself like you're standing up there at the altar, and it's like you and Jesus. And maybe this seems strange to you, but just just play along. Just imagine, and maybe you come with all of your imperfection and all of just all that you are, and it's just bare before Him. But you just see Jesus looking back at you, and He's just got this. Just proud smile on his face. He's got this look of just joy and affection. And, and here's what I want you to do as we close. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to envision that. Now hold out your hands. And this is based on a poem that they read at the wedding that I think speaks to us and to our relationship with God. And so I just want to, as we're doing this, I want you to imagine like God taking hold of, or Jesus taking hold of your hands in that moment, looking at you in the eyes, and, and then allow these words to speak over you. These are the hands of your best friend, strong and full of love for you. Hands that are holding you tight as you promise to love each other today, tomorrow and forever. These are the hands that will work alongside yours as together you build your future. These are the hands that will passionately love you and cherish you through the years and with the slightest touch will comfort you like no other. These are the hands that will hold you when fear or grief fills your mind. These are the hands that will countless times wipe the tears from your eyes. Tears of sorrow, tears of joy. These are the hands that will tenderly hold your children. These are the hands that will help you to hold your family as one. These are the hands that will give you strength when you need it. And lastly, these are the hands that even when wrinkled in age will still be reaching for yours, still giving you the same unspoken tenderness with just a touch. God, we thank you for the confidence that comes through the covenant we have with you. We thank you for your hands that are strong and reliable, that are powerful, yet gently hold us And love us and demonstrate your unfailing love over us. Lord, I just want to pray for your children today. I want to pray for all of those who are your bride. Help us, God, to be reminded of your faithfulness, your faithful, unfailing love, God, and live in response.